0: liftoff and the clock has started. This is 20 minutes you'll never get back. Welcome to episode 64 of 20 minutes you'll never get back or as I call it episode 64. <laughs> My name is Doug Prazak. Thank you very much for tuning in. I appreciate it as always. Also, thanks go out to Christina from Mather, California. Christina was so soft-spoken, wasn't she? She added a bit of elegance to the show, you know, and then I took over. <laughs> so, and it's time to do some shouts out to some uh, listeners who downloaded last week's show. Uh, Washington, D.C. Hello. Auburn, Massachusetts. Now, this one, I know I'm going to screw up. It's, I, I believe it's Brno, B-R-N-O, in the Czech Republic, Someone from Brno has been listening for a while to these episodes, so I appreciate it. And a new tune popped up on my list yesterday, and that's Thornwood, New York. So, And there were a whole lot of other people, uh, not just the ones I mentioned. And if I left you off, don't be mad. You know, you're all real special to me, like uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and Atlanta, Georgia. Crap, now I started, haven't I? That makes me think I need to list everyone, but I can't. I just don't have the time. Right, Moline, Illinois, and South korea <laughs> and Santiago, Chile. Oh, come on, Doug. I appreciate everybody who downloads this mess and <laughs> and listens, even if you, especially if people return. There are a lot of one and dones. <laughs> I don't want to give you the statistics on those, but you know, you know, one episode. Okay, we're we're never coming back to that one. All right, here's a story with today's episode. It, it's full of holes. Oh, God, I can't believe I started the show off with a. St- stupid dad joke. This episode is about donuts. And of course, what would one of these podcasts be without some sort of controversy, but we'll have more on that later. So let's talk about donuts. When I was part of the American workforce, you know, it was always a really good day if somebody brought in one of those pink colored boxes full of donuts. That is unless I was always the last one to the box and all was left was just half of a white cake donut with sprinkles on it who leaves just half a donut behind? (laughs) I ask you that. That's just cruel. Well, to discuss donuts with you, I, of course, had to do some research. So, well, you know, and if you're new to the podcast, it's one, welcome to, you just earned a thousand points. And three, I do the research so you don't have to. The origin of the donut is, you know, heavily debated. The idea of fried dough is not exclusive to any one country or culture, and there's been some form of donut across the globe for a long time. Now, although the exact place and time and person responsible for creating the donut is unknown, there are some pins in the donut's timeline that kind of stand out. Records show that the Dutch were making oily cakes or oil cakes as early as the mid-19th century. These early donuts were simply balls of cake fried in pork fat until golden brown. Mm. <laughs> because the center of the cake did not cook as fast as the outside, the cakes were sometimes stuffed with fruit or nuts and other fillings that did not require cooking. But the story of the hole in the donut has been debated for years. Now, Food writer Michael Crondall says the shape came from recipes that called for the dough to be shaped like a jumble. Now, jumble was at once a common ring-shaped cookie. All right, do you buy that one? Or culinary historian Linda Civiteo writes that the hole was invented because it allowed donuts to cook faster. Technically, that's true. Or there's this one, and this one seems to have the most press. Hanson Gregory, he was an American ship captain, and he had another solution. He claimed to have invented the ring-shaped donut in 1847 aboard a trading ship when he was just 16 years old. Gregory was dissatisfied with the greasiness of the dough balls and with the raw center. Gregory claimed to have punched a hole in the center of the dough ball with the ship's tin pepper box before frying the dough. The hole increased the surface area, exposure to the hot oil, and therefore eliminated the uncooked center. Now, while that sounds like a legitimate reason there's a hole in a donut, there is a more, uh, just say, visual version of Gregory's invention of the donut hole. And that is, uh, the story says he impaled an oily cake on the ship's steering wheel, so that he could use both hands to steer the ship. <laughs> now, I'm, you know, I'm going to call BS here. Okay, so you take the ball and you stuff it on one of those little handles on the old steering wheels of a ship. <laughs> How are you going to eat it? Do you bend down and try and take bites out of it while you're steering? What if it's a windstorm? That donuts me going back and forth. Or you got to take it off with your hand to eat it anyway. <laughs> so I'm going to call BS on that one. So no matter how Gregory came up with putting the hole in the middle of his oily cake, he is the man credited with inventing the classic hole-in-the-middle shape. So where did the word donut come from? Well, the origin of the name donut is also debated. Some say it refers to the nuts that were placed inside of the ball of dough to prevent the undercooked center, while others claim it refers to dough knots, which were another popular shape for the oily cakes. A significant amount of the research says, nah, it's because of all the nuts they put in the middle of the dough to help it cook better. But if you think it's from dough knots, knock yourself out. I support that. The first written record of the word doughnut, spelled D-O-U-G-H-N-U-T, is in Washington Irving's 1809 publication, A History of New York. By the early 1900s, many had just shortened the word to doughnut, D-O-N-U-T, D-O-N-U-T I guess it was just easier. We'll have more on that a little bit later. Now, donuts didn't come into their own until World War I, when millions of homesick American soldiers met millions of donuts in the trenches of France. They were served up by women volunteers who even brought them to the front lines to give soldiers a tasty touch of home. When the soldiers came back from the war, they had a natural craving for more donuts, and the donut revolution began in earnest. Now, as you know, with progress comes automation, and the first donut machine showed up on the scene in 1920. Adolf Levitt was an enterprising refugee from Tsarist Russia living in New York City. No, the Tsar of Russia was not living in New York City. Adolf was living in New York City. He was a refugee from Tsarist Russia. Oh, God. Anyway, he began selling fried donuts, now complete with a hole in the center, from his bakery on Broadway in New York crowds pouring out of the theaters gobbled up his donuts, but the size of the crowds pushed him to make a machine that churned out fried rings faster, and he did. Levitt installed a glass wall between his donut machine and the public, and this was the first time that the public could actually see the donuts being made, and it created quite the spectacle. The machines grew more refined, the idea spread, and by 1931, the New Yorker was telling its readers, quote, we can tell you a little about the donut making place in Broadway, end quote. And they described how, quote, donuts floated dreamily through a grease can- <laughs> through a grease canal in a glass enclosed machine, then walked dreamily up a moving ramp and tumbled dreamily <laughs> into an outgoing basket. End quote. <laughs> what is with dreamily? <laughs> oh my God. By then. Adolph Levis' Dream Machines were earning him $25 million a year, mostly from wholesale deliveries to bakeries around the country. A company spokesman reported that Levitt's machine had pulled the donut, quote, out of the mire of prejudice that surrounded the heavy, greased, soaked product and made it into a light, puffy product of a machine. (laughs) By the 1934 World's Fair in Chicago, donuts were poster material billed as, quote, The food hit of the century of progress. Seeing them produced automatically somehow made them part of the wave of the future. A donut cost less than a nickel, which was within reach of most of the Depression victims. Also in 1930s, half a country away, a Frenchman named Joe Lebeau made his way up from New Orleans to Paducah, Kentucky. I don't think I have anybody downloading the show in Paducah, Kentucky. Oh, well. The hard times led him to sell his secret recipe, which was written out longhand on a piece of paper. He also sold the name, Krispy Kreme, to a local store owner named Ishmael Armstrong. Ishmael hired his nephew, Vernon Rudolph, and put him to work selling the treats door to door. In 1937, young Vernon and two friends of his found themselves in Winston, Salem, North Carolina with just twenty five dollars between them. They got some ingredients from a kindly grocer and they cooked up a fresh batch of crispy creams based on that original recipe. North Carolinans soon found their way to Rudolph's operation, and Rudolph, like Levitt before him, boosted local sales by letting the public see the donuts being made as well as buy them. Floating in that canal of grease. <laughs> By the late 1950s, Krispy Kreme store factories in 12 states were turning out something like 75 dozen donuts an hour. They faced some stiff competition in 1950 when Dunkin' Donuts started in Quincy, Massachusetts, and that battle has been going on ever since. Now, large chains like Krispy Kreme and Dunkin' Donuts have dominated the donut world for the past few decades, but as the, quote, boutique food trend that begins to grow. Donuts are not being left behind. Specialty shops making homemade donuts with unique flavors and toppings are cropping up in major cities across America and probably around the world. Maple and bacon donuts, donut ice cream sandwiches, and the best thing ever, hamburgers on donuts instead of buns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That sounds so gross, but I guarantee you, if there was one here in front of me, I would be eating a hamburger on donuts instead of buns. (laughs) All right, well, that's the backstory on donuts. And when we come back, there are a couple more controversies we need to discuss and what's up with pink boxes. So don't go away. This is Sandy Becker saying, Keep cooking with Crisco. It's all vegetable. It's Digestible. Well, thank God it's digestible. It's nothing I hate worse than a spoonful of oil I can't digest. Oh, my God. All right, I promised you controversy, and I'm going to deliver. The cake donut versus the yeast donut debate ranks right up there with the artificial Christmas trees or real ones each side you know, has his proponents who's going to argue to the death that the yeast donuts are better because they're lighter and won't stick to the roof of your mouth, or the cake proponents that say the cake donuts are better because, well, they're more filling, more dunkable, and, well, they're more like cake. Um, if you're not really into donuts, then A, you probably should leave this podcast, and two, you're probably just saying, what's the diff? Aren't they both just sweet fried dough? Uh-uh. First, the basics. A yeast donut is obviously made with yeasted dough. It's puffy and light, maybe a little chewy, and has a little or no sweetness without some sort of glaze or sugar coating. You know, think Krispy Kremes. A cake donut, on the other hand, is made from what's essentially cake batter. It gets its lift from baking powder and baking soda, you know, the chemical leaveners that's in that stuff. Ideally, the inside is moist and crumbly and either dense like a muffin or fluffy like a birthday cake. Now, in terms of seniority, the yeast donut actually came first. You all know that. It's been around longer than the cake donut because yeast has been around for like a billion years. And for about as long as people all over the world have been making bread, they've also fried it. Now, cake donuts are more thoroughly American. Cake donuts first appeared in U.S. cookbooks in the 1830s, around the same time that baking soda and baking powder first became commercially available. In other words, as soon as there was a way to make donuts without waiting for the yeast to rise, Americans were doing it. That's right. We don't like to wait. The big advantage of a cake donut is that the batter can come in all kinds of flavors, Whereas a yeast donut typically gets most of their flavor from the glaze, but then again, the pliable dough of a yeast donut is much easier to fill with jam or cream. So clearly, there's not going to be a winner in this debate. It's what you grew up on. But I'm going to settle it right now. It's both. What <laughs> a cop out. Next up, what's the correct spelling of donut? You know, people around the world agree that donuts are the king breakfast item, suck omelets. What's less agreed upon is the spelling. Is it D-O-U-G-H-N-U-T or D-O-N-U-T? Well, technically, it can be both. Dictionaries and popular style guides like the AP Stylebook list donut, D-O-U-G-H, as the preferred spelling. However, D-O-N-U-T is a common variation in the United States. You don't have to look very far to see examples of both. Dunkin' Donuts uses the short spelling, while Krispy Kreme's uses the long spelling. You know, and just recently, Dunkin' Donuts made it even shorter when they dropped the word donut from its name. What the hell, Dunkin'? Embrace your past. Come on. Donut, D-O-U-G-H-N-U-T, is, of course, a compound of the words dough and nut. (laughs) duh. You recall from about 10 minutes ago, we learned that nuts filled the space where the dough wouldn't cook all the way through before Hansen took the middle out. So the long version is historically a bit more accurate, but you know, who cares? It's easier to write if you just leave out the UGH. You know, the UGH. All right, next, what's the most popular donut flavor? Now, everybody has their own opinion, as do about a thousand websites. So I now shall attempt to distill them down to these top 10 and not that I agree with all of them. Okay. Just saying. Now, first is my honorable mention. This is a personal one. The apple fritter. While this particular donuts appearance may look like dough that got dropped on the floor and stepped on. It's what's inside that counts. That's right. Hot cooked apples with some cinnamon. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. I want an apple fritter right now. All right. Coming at number 10 is the cinnamon or the cinnamon sugar donut. Now, this is a classic, um, but I kind of prefer the cinnamon crumb because, you know, cinnamon is pretty much the best spice in the world. Number nine is the custard filled. Now, I agree with this one as well. Adding custard to the donut is a nice touch, you know, unless you bite into the donut and the custard shoots out the other end all over your shirt. Next up at number eight, and I have no idea why it's even in this list, is the uh, just the white cake donut with uh, white frosting and sprinkles. Oh, my God. You know, this one's okay if you're a kid or it's the only one left in the office box of donuts. <laughs> number seven, powdered sugar donut. Now, powdered sugar donuts are great, but just don't sneeze while biting into one. Uh, the results may be hard to explain to your, co- your coworkers. <laughs> Number six, maple. No. Absolutely not. No. I don't care if it's the last one in the donut box. No. Coming in at number five is a strawberry jelly filled donut. This is another big fat no. Jelly is for toast. Now, before you get your knickers all watered up, remember, these are my opinions. You may like your donuts filled with crap that are supposed to be on toast. You know, that's that's your choice, but um, the answer is still no. Number four on the list is what we here in the West Coast call a a, a donut bar or a chocolate bar. I think somewhere else it's called a long john. This one's basically just a a chocolate glazed donut that's not circle shaped. (laughs) You know, it's just a long bar with chocolate frosting on it, but they're still hella good. All right, number three, a Boston cream. Now, the Boston cream donut is kind of like a hybrid between a custard donut and a chocolate frosted donut. Yet somehow, when you put the two of them together, it's like 10 times the power of the average custard or chocolate frosted donut. The Boston cream ones actually really are good. Number two is the chocolate glazed donut. It's a simple, hassle-free donut Usually uh, it's yeast, but sometimes there's cake varieties. It's just a donut with chocolate frosting on it. So the chocolate glazed donut comes in number two. But what is number one? The good old-fashioned glazed donut. The ultimate donut, the perfect donut, good old-fashioned glazed. Nobody can pass one of those things up. So there's the top ten. You may agree, you may not. Just remember, no jelly-filled donuts. And lastly, why are donut boxes pink? Now, you're probably saying, no, they're not. And if you're saying, no, they're not, then you're not in California. Out here on the West Coast of the United States, and particularly in Southern California, if you're picking up a dozen donuts and you're not in Dunkin' or Krispy Kreme, you're going to get them in a pink box. Now, as it turns out, there's a specific reason for this particular color popping up in West Coast donut shops. According to the Los Angeles Times, the city's donut shops are typically small operations run by Cambodian Americans. The pink donut box first appeared in the 1980s at a time when a couple of Cambodian refugees named Ted Noy and Ning Yen were expanding their chain of Christie's donut shops. The boxes came from a supplier called Westco. According to the story, Ted was trying to buy boxes that were cheaper than the white ones that the chain donut shops used. Wesco had the answer, leftover pink cardboard stock. Pink boxes stuck around because thousands could be produced at a much cheaper price than the white predecessors. The L.A. Times noted that while the difference between the pink and white boxes would only have been a few cents per box, the savings would add quickly on the thousands of boxes sold each week. Ning's son, Peter, said that red was actually his dad's top choice since refugees considered it a lucky color, but he received the pink ones instead. Turns out pink's pretty lucky, too. Oh, and if you happen to see a TV sitcom or a a TV drama that's supposed to take place somewhere like New York or Chicago or some other uh, city, and a character has a pink box of donuts, well... That lets you know it was shot in L.A., <laughs> right? you know. That is going to do it for this episode, but first, what have we learned? Well, we learned that donuts originally didn't have a hole. We can thank Hanson Gregory for giving us the hole. <laughs> I cannot believe I just said that. We learned that you can spell donut any way you want, and you'll be right. Merriam-Webster says so. And we learned that Doug does not like jelly-filled donuts. I'm telling you, jelly only belongs on toast or with peanut butter. (laughs) All right, with that, this episode is now officially over. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. As always, I appreciate it. And I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, uh, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye.